But Father, we do come and ask that as we consider your word, Father, you would build our faith. Help us to trust in the promises of your word. And Father, your word is true. It reveals who you are. It reveals your plan of salvation. Father, open the eyes of the blind. Father, give us uh, ears to hear and hearts that believe your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a a recent study found that the the vast majority of Americans who claim to be Christians, or at least at one time in their lives have claimed to be Christians, have had doubts about their faith sometime in their life. Uh, For many, uh, those doubts, at least for a time, led them to, to stop attending church, to stop reading their Bible, or to stop praying. Uh, Well, some ended up abandoning Christianity altogether. Uh, However, this study found that most of those who called themselves devout Christians, those they would define as as regularly attending church, said that eventually the doubts they experienced strengthened their faith as they turned to the scriptures and other brothers and sisters in Christ to find answers. Uh, Why am I telling you about this religious study in the United States? Uh, Well, one is I I couldn't find a study from anywhere else, Uh, but secondly, because I don't think doubt is just something that is common in the American church. I think that is something that is common to Christians everywhere. My guess is that sometime in your life, many of you have had doubts about your faith. Uh, Some of you may have doubts now. Is Christianity really true? Does God really exist? Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he really the only way of salvation? Is there such a thing as eternal life? And is following Jesus really worth it? If that is is you this afternoon, I want to encourage you on on one hand that you're not alone in your doubts. Many people doubt, and we find many people in the Bible who have doubted. We, we know one of the apostles as doubting Thomas because he wanted to see the holes in Jesus' hands before he would believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Peter and the other disciples doubted at times. Moses, Gideon, Elijah all doubted at times in their life. And Christians sometimes doubt. But as, as one pastor put it, doubt... Honest doubt, inquiring doubt, is not a bad starting point. It's just a bad finishing point. In other words, doubt in and of itself is is not something to fear, but it is not healthy to remain in your doubts and to leave them unaddressed. Go ahead and and turn with me in your your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Luke 7, 18-35, and in our text for today, we're going to find doubts about Jesus coming from a, a very unlikely place, John the Baptist. But what I want you to see as we go through this, this text this afternoon is that John brings his doubts to Jesus. And one of the, the sad parts, just reading through the findings in that study I mentioned a few moments ago, was how few people shared their doubts with anyone else. Uh, they, they wouldn't share it with anyone in their local church. Well, I think that is, I think that is sad. 
uh, your doubts, the church should be a safe place for your doubts. It should be a safe place to express your doubts because it is your church family that should help you work through those doubts. But unfortunately, at least of those surveyed, the vast majority seem to simply battle their doubts alone. Well, I I hope by the end of the sermon that you see that is the wrong way to deal with your doubts, and it is not what John does in our text. Instead, he comes to Jesus with his doubts. And Jesus then used that opportunity to address John and address the crowds that were there present uh, with with truth from Scripture and call them to place their faith in him. Uh, So the main idea, I think, from the text today is that Jesus is the long-promised Messiah, and he calls you to place your faith in him. Jesus is the long-promised Messiah, and he calls you to place your faith in him. And so our text, the text as we read through it, you'll see, is really built around a series of questions. And so those questions are going to really just serve as the outline of the sermon. And I'm going to summarize these questions or this series of questions this way. Uh, First, who is Jesus? Second, who is John? And then third, who are you? Who is Jesus? Who is John? And who are you? Uh, So first, look with me at verses 18 through 20 as we look at this question of who is Jesus. So John 7, starting in verse 18. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? If you remember back to our sermon from last week, Jesus healed the the servant of a centurion who had come to him asking that his servant be healed. He had raised the only son of a, a widow back to life. In the very last verse of the text that we look at, looked at from last week, verse 17 says this, that this report about him, or about Jesus, went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Now, it seems like as this report went out about what Jesus has done, the, the reports reached the ears of John the Baptist. And so in response, John calls two of his disciples to himself and sends them to Jesus to ask an important question. And now the reason John sent disciples instead of coming himself was by this time, John was in prison. Uh, the Roman-appointed governor or ruler of that region, Herod, had married his own brother's wife. And John ended up publicly rebuking Herod for doing this. Well, this kind of unsurprisingly angered Herod. It certainly angered his new wife. And so Herod had John put in prison. Uh, so John was, was unable to come to, to Jesus himself. He's, he's in a prison. And so he turns to his disciples. He calls these two disciples to himself, and he sends them to Jesus to ask this important question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? In other words, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Are you the one I was sent to prepare the way for? That's my mission. Are you the one I was sent to prepare the way for? Should we expect someone else? Well, if you you know much about John the Baptist, this seems like a very surprising question for John to ask. We saw this earlier in Luke. It was John the Baptist who leapt for joy in his mother's womb when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, came for a visit. John is the one who who baptized Jesus, and 
And when Jesus comes to John to be baptized, this is what John says. We see this in John's Gospel, not John the Baptist's Gospel, the Apostle John's Gospel. But this is what John the Baptist says. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. John, at least in that point of his, of his life, and not that long ago in terms of time, just maybe a year or two before this, he seemed to know who Jesus was. He baptized Jesus. He was there when the Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus. Well, how could this John be asking, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? How could John the Baptist be doubting? I think the answer, the text doesn't tell us for sure, but I think the answer is that John, like, like many in Israel, were expecting someone or something different than Jesus. They thought that the Messiah would come and and save and rescue Israel through political or military might. They thought that the the Messiah would come ushering in an an earthly kingdom in which Israel would be restored to its former glory. Certainly they would no longer be subject to the Romans. They would no longer be living under Roman oppression. Uh, Well, as we just sang about, and as we will see later in Luke, They certainly were not expecting the Messiah to suffer and die. They didn't ever understand it when Jesus talked about his death. After his death, they doubted until they saw him raised again. And so at at this point in in Jesus' ministry, as as John is sitting there in this prison, well, yes, okay, Jesus is healing people. Jesus is, is preaching and teaching, but John seems to be wondering, like, okay, where is everything else? Well, have any of you ever really had high expectations for something? You had super high expectations for maybe something you were going to do, somebody you were going to meet, and then you were disappointed when it did not live up to those expectations. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, my family and I, we took a day and went to the, the expo. And if you've been to the expo, you know that some of the pavilions there are just like magnificent. Like outside, they have really done an amazing job with designing some of these buildings. But there were a few times where you you go and you're almost drawn to go visit one of these buildings because it looks so great. And then you go inside and I was left wondering, well, is that it? Did they put kind of like all their money on the outside and very little of it on on the inside? It certainly wasn't true for for all the buildings, but I was left wondering a few times, well, is that it? Based on how it looked on the outside, I was expecting something more. I think this is a little bit of what it was like for John. He had these, these high expectations for the Messiah, high expectations of the one for whom he was preparing the way for but then doubt starts to creep in as his expectations are not being fulfilled. He starts wondering, did I understand correctly? Was I mistaken? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Or is there like somebody coming maybe in a couple of years and that's really the Messiah? Well, how many of you have heard the phrase, expectations kill gratitude? Or expectations are the the enemies of, of gratitude? 
Well, that, that phrase really just means that when we have high expectations of someone or something, we, we often miss the small little things that we can be grateful for. Uh, we, we miss those small things because we're expecting, we're, we're wanting something more. Uh, expectations can be a dangerous thing. We set up unrealistic expectations of others, whether that's a friend or spouse, a boss, an employee, or we'll inevitably be disappointed and grow hostile and bitter as those expectations are, are not met. If you expect your kids to behave perfectly, you're going to get angry when they do not live up to your unrealistic expectations. Something similar can happen in our spiritual lives. We need to guard against wrong expectations of God and wrong expectations of the Christian life. Because like John, when you have wrong expectations and then those expectations are not met, it may lead to doubt. You may even grow angry and, and disappointed in God. And God, why is it that you will not show me exactly what it is that I am to do next? Why will you not show me what the answer is to this decision that I have to make? And God, why are you not answering my prayer right away? Do you, do you hear? Do you even care? Lord, I have been so faithful to you. I, I'm doing my best to obey. So why is life so difficult? Why does it seem like so many people who do not love you, who do not care for you, who do not know you, have a better life than I do? Is it even worth it to follow you? Hey God, why would you let this bad thing happen to me or my family? Do you really love me? Are you really in control? Should I believe that you're really in control? And think of how John might have felt sitting there in, in prison. Maybe he, he's sitting there wondering, well... Why would you allow this to happen to me, Jesus? If you're the Messiah, if you're the Messiah, why am I here in, in prison? I was faithful to prepare the way for you. Did I, did I labor or work in, in vain? But friends, all those, those expectations or those, those questions that I just meant, mentioned are, are rooted or come from a wrong understanding of God. God does not promise to show us what we should do next in life. God does not promise to answer our prayers when we would like, or answer our prayers how we would like. God's love is not shown by giving health and wealth or an easy life to Christians. I mean, John is going to go on and be beheaded. That's where his life is headed. If, if you have wrong expectations, if you have wrong expectations of God and his promises, you are likely to doubt as well. You are likely to grow disappointed. And so, brothers and, and sisters, if, if you are here and you're struggling with, with doubt, you're struggling with anger at God or disappointment in God, perhaps you should go back and see if you actually have a right understanding of God. Do you have the right expectations? Are your expectations, what, are your expectations based on what God has revealed in his word? are simply what you would like, your own desires. Expectations kill gratitude, and expectations lead to doubt. They led to doubt for John, and they may also lead to doubt for you. But friends, what I, what I want you to see is that John ends up taking his doubts to Jesus. 
I, I love the way one pastor put it. He, he wrote this. Doubt had crept in. So doubt had crept in for John. But that had not destroyed John's faith. His faith is proven by the way he reacts to his doubt. If he had no trust in Jesus, he would not go to Jesus to ask Jesus to dispel his doubt. He is asking Jesus, whom he believes in and doubts at the same time, to resolve his doubt. He does what you always need to do with doubt. You go directly to the Lord. The worst thing you could do with your doubt is to keep it to yourself. If you want to get your doubt resolved, go to the Word of God, not to any other place. I might also add that you should go to another brother or sister in Christ who can point you to the Word of God. But that pastor's point was that John's faith was demonstrated by his reaction to his doubt. He had, he had faith that was mixed with doubt, as do we all sometimes in our Christian faith. The question is, what are we going to do with that doubt? The right answer is to go to the Lord, go to his word, go to his people, go to him in prayer and and cry out with the same prayer that we see a, a struggling and doubting saint cry out to the Lord with in Mark's gospel. I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. Remember, doubt is not a bad starting point. It is just a bad finishing point. It's not healthy to remain in your doubt, but doubt can drive you to the church. Doubt may drive you to prayer. Doubt can drive you to God's word as you seek the answers to your doubts. And when you do that in faith, you can be confident that God will strengthen your faith by his grace. Well, next, let's let's see how Jesus responds to John's doubts. So look with me at verses 21 through 23. At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Well, at that very point, as other translations put it, in that hour or immediately, Right after John's disciples come asking this question, are you the one we should be, ex- or, or should we expect someone else? Well, Jesus graciously gives a demonstration of his power and authority by healing many. He confirms that what John and, and John's disciples had heard about in these reports that had kind of gone throughout the region, he confirms that what they had heard is, is true. And Jesus did not have to do this, but he's, he's kind and he's gracious to, to John's doubts. He's kind and gracious to his disciples. And then Jesus, uh, but then I want you to notice what Jesus does. After giving this demonstration of his power and his, his authority, Jesus points John and his disciples to God's word. He tells them to go and report what they have seen and heard to John. And we see that in verse 22, and those words that we see in verse 22 sound very much like Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. Actually, you can go ahead and, and turn with me there in your Bibles. Just go back a couple pages to Luke 4, verses 17 through 21. And if you remember when Jesus goes and preaches in his hometown of Nazareth, when he goes to the synagogue, this is where we are. And, and this is what happens when Jesus is in the synagogue of Nazareth. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. 
And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So in those words that Jesus gives back in our text here in verse 22, when he tells John's disciples, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. What Jesus is doing is readjusting John's expectations, and he is setting those expectations on the word of God. Basically, he's asking John, what does God's word say about the Messiah? What is that text from Isaiah 61 that was read in that synagogue in Nazareth? What does that say about the Messiah? Am I the fulfillment of the word of God or not? I may not be meeting these wrong expectations that you and many others have about who the Messiah should be or would be, but I'm doing just what the scriptures said I would do. So Jesus does, does not answer John's doubts directly. But he essentially says, you have what you need to know who I am. You have the scriptures. You have what you need to know who I am. You have the scriptures. You've seen and heard me fulfill these scriptures. Don't doubt, but believe. And brothers and sisters, I would simply say that you have what you need to believe as well. You have God's word, which reveals who God is. So take your doubts to the Word of God. Take them to the church. Take your doubts to the the Lord in prayer. Now who is Jesus? Look to Him and find out in His Word. That brings us to the, the second point of the sermon, and that is, who is John? Who is John? Look with me starting in verse 24. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Well, so after John's disciples leave, Jesus turns to the crowd that is is there and has heard this interaction and, and begins to ask them about John. But really by asking this crowd, who is John? Jesus is really asking the crowds, who am I? Because Jesus' point in, in this text and in these questions is that if you accept it, if you crowd, if you accepted John as a prophet, one who speaks the word of God, then you should believe in me as the one to whom John pointed. You cannot accept John on one hand, and you cannot accept John's message and reject me. Those things do not go together. And so Jesus first asked the crowd if they went out to the wilderness to see a, a reed swaying in the wind. And so John himself, he ministered in the wilderness along the Jordan River, Reeds, river reeds growing up along the Jordan were, were fairly common. Of course, they would blow in the wind. Uh, so as one commentator put it, Jesus is asking, 
Uh, He's asking the crowds, did you go out to see such a commonplace and trivial thing as one of the many reeds that exist in the wilderness being moved by the wind? The answer is, of course not. Nobody visits Dubai just to go to some ordinary office building. Uh, People visit Dubai to go see the Burj Khalifa. Jesus then asks a second question. You did not go see a reed. Did you go see someone dressed nice and living in luxury? If John was not a reed, was he a wealthy or important person? Was John something like the expo, this shiny thing out in the middle of the wilderness? Again, the answer is, of course not. John dressed in camel's hair. He ate honey and wild locusts. So then Jesus asks the third question. Essentially, if John was not this man dressed in luxury, if he's not a reed, why did you go out and make this difficult and uncomfortable journey to the wilderness? What did you go out to see? And the answer is they went out to see a prophet. And not just any prophet. They went to see the one who prepared the way of the Lord. They went because they believed that John was a prophet. And Jesus says that John was more than that. Because there is no one born of women greater than John. And that is because John was the prophet specifically given the task of preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Therefore, other than Jesus, of course, John was the greatest born among women. And this is who the people went to see. So Jesus' message is, if you believe John is a prophet, then you must believe in me. Then Jesus makes a a pretty amazing statement in the, the second half of verse 28. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. To be part of God's kingdom simply means to have salvation, to have been saved by God and set apart by God. And so what Jesus is not saying here, he is not saying that John the Baptist himself is not part of the kingdom of God. That is not what Jesus is saying. John is certainly part of God's kingdom. But what he does mean is that one's eternal position is far more important and far greater than one's earthly position. So John is given the earthly privilege of preparing the way for the Lord. That is his earthly mission. But to find salvation in Jesus Christ, to be transferred from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom, is something far greater. Finding salvation in Jesus Christ is far greater. So in his earthly ministry, John was given the privilege of preparing the way of of the Lord. But those in the kingdom of God have the privilege of knowing the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that is an amazing statement. If you are a Christian, you can rejoice because you are part of God's kingdom. The least in the kingdom of God is more blessed and privileged and greater even than the one Jesus calls the greatest born among women. And friends, if if you are here and, and you are not a Christian and you do not know the Lord, understand that no amount of earthly success or, or greatness can compare to the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than eternal life found in Jesus And there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus. That is really the promise and the hope of the Christian faith, is that we will get to spend an eternity in the presence of the Lord. The promise of heaven, the promise of salvation is not mansions and streets lined with gold. It is not a a, a lack of aches and pains in your body. It is not even fundamentally freedom from sin. Uh, Though freedom from sin, a lack of aches in your body are true. 
Oh, the hope of the Christian faith is that you get to be in the presence of the Lord forever. That you might see him face to face. Oh, that brings us to the the last point of the sermon. Who are you? So first, who is Jesus? Second, who is John? And lastly, Jesus asked, who are you? And this is really the message Jesus is driving at. He's asking, are you one who will accept me? Or reject me? Are you one who doubts or believes? Look at verses 29 through 30, and this is how Luke records the response of, of those who are there and, and heard Jesus' questions. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. So Luke draws our attentions back to the crowds, this this crowd that had largely accepted John as a prophet. They had accepted John's message, which as we saw earlier in Luke, was a a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That is the message that John came and preached. So they accepted that message of repentance for forgiveness of sins, and they were baptized by John. And so, in other words, they acknowledged God's way of, of righteousness, his holiness, and his justice, their own need for forgiveness as they're confronted with God's holiness and righteousness. So they recognize John's message as, as right. And so, again, Luke is drawing your attention to that the natural reaction to accepting John and his message is to accept Jesus and his message. And Jesus came preaching the same message of repentance for sins did not preach it in the exact same way that John did, but Jesus' message was repentance for sins and faith in him. So to acknowledge God's way of righteousness is to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. Well, on the other hand, there are those who accepted John's message, but there were also the Pharisees and experts in the law who rejected the message that Jesus was bringing. They rejected what Jesus was saying here in his teaching because they had not been baptized by John. They had rejected the message of John, and so they were now rejecting the message of Jesus as well. They doubted John, so now they're doubting Jesus. Jesus understood this. He understood that they had rejected him. He knew their hearts, and so we see his response in verses 31 through 35. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. So in, in, in these words, Jesus is comparing himself He's comparing John the Baptist to children sitting in a marketplace calling out to other children to play. It's a picture of really Jesus and John calling out to people to come join the kingdom of heaven. They're inviting them into God's kingdom. However, though they they play the flute and invite them to come play with a happy tune, the children do not come and dance. So they turn and play a, a sad song, but the children do not respond to that either. They do not weep. This is how the the Pharisees and the experts of the law had responded to Jesus. 
uh, and, uh, and to John. John had come eating, John, excuse me, did not come eating bread and drinking wine and enjoying the comforts of this earth. He came and lived a rough lifestyle in the wilderness. He dressed in camel's hair. He, he ate, he ate a honey and locust. He came and preached a difficult message of coming judgment and, and called people to repent of their sins. You can remember his language. He calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He's a, he's a fiery preacher. He comes preaching a difficult message. And what was the response of those who rejected John? Well, he has a demon. He's possessed. This guy's crazy. Do not listen to him. But then here comes Jesus, who eats and drinks with tax collectors. Uh, outwardly, he seems maybe a lot different than John. He called for people to rejoice over the coming kingdom of God. And yet he has met with the same rejection. The people simply call Jesus a glutton or a drunkard. Well, have you guys ever met someone or known somebody who just seems to complain about everything? They can find something wrong with any situation, and they never seem to be happy. Now, this is basically the description that Jesus is giving about those who rejected him and, and John. The Pharisees reject John for not behaving more like Jesus, and Jesus shows up and they reject Jesus for not behaving more like John. But the point is, John and Jesus came preaching the same message. Those who rejected Jesus and John were, re were rejecting the same message of the gospel. They were rejecting the same message of repentance, and they just used the behavior the characteristics of Jesus and John as an excuse. They did not want to humble themselves. They did not want to accept God's way of righteousness. They did not want to acknowledge their need of forgiveness. But friends, acknowledging our need for forgiveness is the fundamental message of the gospel. The gospel is a message that you need forgiveness from your sins, and forgiveness can only be found in Jesus Christ. In its simplest form, the gospel message says that all people have rebelled against the God who has created them. God has created you, and you have rebelled. Uh, and because of your rebellion, you are deserving of God's judgment. But in his mercy and love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is both fully God and fully man. And he sent him to live the perfect life of obedience that you could not live and to die the death that you deserved to die for your sins. Jesus died to take the penalty for sin. And then three days later, he rose again for your justification, defeating sin and death. And salvation is only found by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And so friends, what I want you to see is that the, the Pharisees, the experts in the law that were, were there that day did not reject Jesus because they had good reason to. They did not doubt Jesus because they had good reason to. They doubted him, and they rejected him, and they rejected his message because they wanted to. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures about the promised Messiah. They, like John, had everything they needed to believe. They should have understood this message that, that Jesus gave to John's disciples. They did not doubt because they had good reason to. They rejected Jesus because they wanted to. Their doubts about Jesus came from their hearts. And friends, here's the key. So do yours. Your doubts spring from your heart. Your sinful flesh tempts you to find reasons to doubt Jesus. Satan wants to, to lead you to doubt Jesus. And because of this, you can find hundreds of reasons to doubt and not because there are actually good reasons to doubt God, 
or you should doubt, you should not. Not because God's word is false, it is true. Not because Jesus is unworthy of your faith and trust, as we just sang, he is worthy. But because your doubts come from within. They come from your desires. They come from your lack of faith. They come from your heart. And friends, this is why we need God's grace. God's word tells us that no one seeks for God on their own. We need God to open the eyes of our heart that we might desire him and follow him. But friends, you you should know that you, like the Pharisees, can find any number of reasons to doubt. Maybe you doubt because you think Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe the exact opposite. Maybe you doubt because you don't really like the fact that Christianity seems to be like a bunch of rules that you have to follow. And maybe you look at the evil in the world and decide that God either does not exist, or if he does, he could not care if all this evil was going to exist in the world. Maybe you just think, I'm pretty good, certainly better than most of the people I see around me. So I don't think I really need all this Jesus stuff to go to heaven someday. I think I'm just going to be just fine without really paying attention to what the Bible has to say. And maybe you just have wrong expectations about what life should look like or a wrong understanding about what the Bible teaches. My life is not what I expected it to be. Jesus hasn't really seemed to do anything to make my life better. And coming to church hasn't really seemed to do anything for that matter. You know, forget this. I think I'm just going to go try something else. Friends, the point is, if you want to find reason to reject Jesus, you will. But friends, Jesus has given you what you need to believe. He has given you his word, which reveals everything you need in order to know who Jesus is. And he's given you everything you need to place your faith in him. The the truth of, of the gospel and the truth that we see in scripture, though, is that our sin blinds us to these truths. So friends, if you want eyes of faith, you need to cry out to Jesus that he might open your eyes and give you you faith and give you repentance, give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And Jesus says in verse 35 that, that wisdom is vindicated by her children. In other words, wisdom is not found in rejection of Jesus. Wisdom is displayed in those who have humbled themselves in repentance and placed their faith in Jesus. Wisdom is vindicated in those whose eyes have been opened to the truths of the gospel. Wisdom is vindicated by those whose lives have been changed by the message of the gospel. Wisdom is vindicated by good works that are produced in the lives of believers in gratefulness for what the Lord has done for them. Wisdom is vindicated by the last or the least becoming first. By the least of these in the world's eyes receiving a place in the kingdom of God. So friends, as I, as I close, the question, the question that Jesus leaves you with from these verses is, who are you? Are you a child of wisdom? Are you one who accepts Jesus? Or are you one who rejects Jesus? Do your doubts lead you to, to walk away? Or do they lead you to cry, I believe, help my unbelief? And friends, Jesus has, has made it abundantly clear who he is. Jesus has made it abundantly clear, and we've seen it over and over again in Luke's Gospel. The question is, who are you? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Father, we thank you that you are a God who has revealed 